to another episode of the Touch Points Podcast. This is Matthew Carnegie, one of the pastors here at East Point Bible Church, and I have with me Pastor Jim Butler, our lead pastor. And we just had a pretty exciting sermon this past Sunday covering some pretty deep waters and thought it would be a wonderful idea to spend a few minutes following up on some of the things we discussed in that sermon. So welcome, Jim. Glad we get to do this together. I know our people should be excited to hear what you have to say about this, and I'm sure they have a lot of questions. So I know a lot of what you talked about started off dealing with what you've heard from people and the questions and the the misconceptions people have had to deal with over the years. So how would you describe what you run into the most as a reason people end up staying here at this church, even when they run into some of these things? Yeah, well, um, hey, I'm glad we're having this podcast. I, I think, first of all, it's we have a membership class, and um, I get a chance to spend seven weeks with some new people. And so we walk through various doctrines over that time. And, and what I have found is that people are really searching for truth. And I think if a church focuses on truth, it draws people who are interested in truth, right? So whatever you bring them with is what you keep them with. And so what I found going through the membership class is that people are really, really hungry for truth. And as we go through the various doctrines, which are very scriptural, of course, I find that people are shocked that they haven't heard those particular doctrines. You know, we hear comments like, well, I've been in church all my life and I've not heard that. And so they're intrigued by the truth. And so what I have found is that there are a number of common issues that people have not either been taught or they have um, adopted an idea somewhere about the Bible. And when they hear it from the scriptures, they recognize that they, they have been uninformed or misinformed or misunderstood particular doctrines. And so they come to our church, they come to any teaching church, and they find these are ideas that I've had wrong. And so with humility and teachability, people begin to grow and to see that. And it's addictive because they finally are hearing truth that maybe they haven't heard before. And so so I have found that people just have this craving for truth. They recognize that they haven't heard it. Now they're getting it and they're excited about that. So what do you think is the difference there? How do you identify what it is that people are drawn to that makes this the source of truth that they've been lacking or looking for? Or what's the light bulb moment for people, do you think? Yeah, well, you can typically see it on their faces. And that's I think that's one of the really good examples of doing a membership class is that you can see it on their face. You can see it on their countenance. You can see it uh, at times when they ask questions, because at the end of every lesson, we have a time for question and answer. And it comes out then and there. And so even though we don't have time to develop it thoroughly in the membership class, uh, I usually attach, uh, usually deal with that later in the essentials class where we take those doctrines and we break them down even deeper and more thorough. And so they ask and they're looking for it. And once in a while, we get people who totally disagree and they may not come back or for whatever reason, but most of the time they're just hearing new information that's bringing clarity to what maybe they already have. And so I can just see it. You can tell it. And sometimes they say it. (laughs) They actually say, hey, I've been in church my whole life and I've not heard this. I don't understand why I haven't heard this. And they're pretty excited. Yeah. So what do you think is where people get a lot of those ideas from? Like, what do you think is the difference when it's suddenly, like I said, the light bulb coming off here as opposed to whatever they've heard before? I think 
Some of it is wrong teaching. Some of it is shallow teaching. You know, maybe they or they've jumped from church to church and they haven't developed a, 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 a consistent theology where they one truth builds on another. And I think some of it is just from what they hear, maybe a little snippets of what they've heard, maybe in social media or they've read some book somewhere. So it can can really come from all different kinds of sources. But I think what's generally lacking, Matthew, is a consistent verse-by-verse, month-by-month, year-by-year exposition of the Scriptures because the Holy Spirit's laid it out that these are unfolded over time, you know, and one builds on another. And so if they haven't had the experience of sitting under expositional teaching verse-by-verse, there's gaps in their understanding, and they never fill those gaps yeah, no, it's it's huge. I know in my own experience, we've talked, um, each of us has talked up from the pulpit about a couple of these areas of mine where Scripture made such a difference. You know, I, I know I've shared about doctrine of election. You know, I've kind of worked out in my head a way of God seeing what people would choose and kind of a very deficient understanding of his sovereignty. But what changed it, you know, you mentioned the Berean example, seeing things in scripture, like hearing that doctrine preach from Ephesians one and seeing it in God's word so that it wasn't just your opinion made a huge difference. I know from, for correcting my own understanding of that. And you mentioned the baptism example, same thing. You know, I grew up hearing one set of people's ideas about baptism. I, was wanting to be a member here and loving a lot of things about the way this church thought and talked, but knowing this belief was different, I had to see it from the Bible myself. So it wasn't just this church versus that church. It was, what does God say about this? And I know that was huge for me. Yeah. Do you feel like that's similar to what you're seeing with a lot of the people here as well? I do. And I think, you know, ultimately the the Holy Spirit is a teacher, of course. And that com- his his leading comes about by being exposed to God's word, carefully exposed by God's word. Sometimes a word at a time, or a grammatical issue that people maybe haven't been exposed to. Interesting. I've had some people, uh, the doctrine of election in particular, had a a new couple come here. It's been years ago, and they heard me teaching that. I was thinking I was teaching probably through Ephesians or whatever, and so uh, they went on vacation and they went to Piper's church. Well, lo and behold, Piper was teaching on election. So because Piper said it, they agreed with it. <laughs> so sometimes those solid teachers out there, when they hear them, that can reinforce what you're teaching as well, you know, and build confidence that way. But um, it, it's sometimes it's a slow process. And it's really hard to unlearn something that you've thought all your life. And so I think that, as we saw in the passage with Peter, Peter was humble enough that when he it was revealed to him that there was no unclean and unclean animals, which was a, a an illustration of what he was describing as there's no human being that's unclean or clean. And so by that analogy, Peter was humble enough and teachable enough that he finally understood it. And I think we have to come to God's word with a a sense of humility for the Holy Spirit to teach us. And um, I think that's lacking sometimes. I think we are an arrogant people um, until the Holy Spirit works in our life. We think we have it all figured out, and then we find out we don't. And if we're humble, we'll work through that, you know. 
Isn't it interesting to see God's grace and bringing us along? You mentioned the example. Sometimes you'll teach something hard and someone will hear it from Piper, you know, getting that reinforcement. I think of times over the years, someone will teach something in Sunday school and we hear something very similar in the sermon. Yep. Even in Peter's example, he had to see that vision three times before he finally got he the message. Yeah, it took some time. And, and again, I think... One of the things that's health, healthy um, about learning the scriptures, because there's so many paradox in scriptures, there's so many areas where there's tension, and it's not either or, it's both and. Man tends to want to land on the, the, the either or, and so much of scripture is both and. And I, I try to be patient with people. You know, as pastors, we study a subject over over years and years and years. Uh, we approach it either in a sermon that's dealing with it in a topic, or we're going through a passage and we run into it. You know, we build a certain amount of confidence. But I know in my own life, some of those harder doctrines you wrestle with over time, and I still wrestle with the doctrine of election and and the the, the responsibility of man because I'm always trying to figure it out exactly how it works. But Scripture only takes us so far, you know. So I think there's a healthiness when people come to a new church or they're hearing teaching that they may not quite agree with it or understand it fully. But there has to be that time of massaging and thinking and working through that and being exposed to the whole counsel of God rather than just one part of the Bible or one set of scriptures that fit your scenario. It's healthy. So there there can be a not a distrust, but there can be a, a, a where well, I've got to figure this out is what the, the, the pastor teaching really true. Am I a Briam? Am I more noble-minded than the average person that I'm able to see what they they uh, preach on and teach on? Does that actually say it in the Bible? And I want to say one more thing about, I think, as pastors, uh, at least I feel this way. I don't know if every pastor is motivated in this regard. But as I teach, I want to help explain people why I come up with what I come up with. And, and I think for the listener or the people in the in the auditorium or on live stream, as you walk through the reasoning for the way you came up with that, they build their skill of discernment and they build their skill and their ability to understand uh, and be a Berean. You know, how did you come up with that? The word therefore goes back and connects. You know, there's certain hermeneutical principles that I think the average person should know if they're going to be able to really figure out what Scripture says. Yeah, I go back to my background as a teacher. You know, I was teaching students music. And a big part of the day-to-day teaching wasn't learning the songs, especially at the beginner level. It was learning how to practice, you yeah, know, teaching people absolutely. the skills to be able to understand things for themselves. I think it's a big part of, of that. Yeah, task. there's this perspective in ministry that pastors have all the answers. And I think, you know, we certainly are gifted to teach. We have to be as if we're going to be legitimate uh, elders of a church. But we have the time and we have the giftedness and, and even the tools and some of the education on how to use those tools that the average person doesn't have. However, I think we misunderstand our role if we if we believe that we have some sort of elite uh, understanding where other people don't. They have the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're part of the body of Christ. They have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. And so I think it ought to be our responsibility to train them to be theologians, to train them to have a proper hermeneutic, to train them how to evaluate what somebody's teaching. 
And and I think the church is stronger when we have that perspective. So anyway, I think just like, you know, dealing with the topic we did on Sunday morning, you know, the only example I know of, and there may be others, that Peter admitted he was wrong. And so you don't get that with the apostles, right? And so what a great text to look at and to realize, wait a minute, if an apostle could be wrong, through, in his case, false teaching, because of the rabbis, they twisted scripture, they added to it. When God's revelation came to him, he admitted it, and he recognized it, and then he admitted it to his friends and his enemies that were in that room and, and with Cornelius. So uh, what a great application for all of us that at, at points in our life, we're wrong. And we come at the Bible with our human understanding, which is finite, and we have to constantly be learning by the instruction of Scripture, the accurate description of, of our exposition of Scripture. And we grow. And so we recognize that where we're wrong, we need to correct it. And then, again, that's not always easy. Sometimes that takes time. We're resistant to for somebody to tell us that we're wrong. Yeah, I think there's there's a whole other podcast here, but I think there's something to I think you mentioned the times where Jesus talks about you have heard it said, but I say to you what yeah, he was the correcting time. there. Yeah. yeah, what he was correcting there wasn't just like some cultural mores. That's what they were hearing from right. the rabbis, their trusted right. teachers. Right. You know, and so exactly. that's I think there is something very instructive to us about not relying even on the people we trust. Sure. Any any farther than what we can see rooted in scripture like right. the Bereans there. Right. And again, I think the more skilled people are at seeing exposition and how you arrive at it, the better Bereans they're going to be. And they're not going to be swayed by some sort of emotional um, story or whatever that it's, you know, they, they're able to see it in Scripture. So, yeah. Well, you brought up, uh, we definitely want to get to the other side of, you know, these heavier paradoxical topics. It was a big part of the yeah. sermon, but just to tie a bow on this first aspect of recognizing our own errors and growing in our understanding of Scripture. How do you help someone walk away from this? with a healthy view of finding these errors in our thinking? How do we keep from going to the one extreme of being so arrogant that we don't think we need correction, but also avoiding the other extreme of being so uncertain, so certain that we have errors, that we lack any confidence in the truth and are afraid to take a stand on anything? What's what's the middle ground someone can walk away from this with? Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I like to describe it as uh, we always have one foot in in the on the side of the let's say we're standing in, in in two fields and we're straddling them. We ought to have one foot in a field where we're humble enough and we're looking at scriptures making sure that we understand what it says. And the other foot, as time goes especially, you're more confident of what it says because you've spent time looking at it and you've looked at the arguments. So I think there's a balance of of being extremely confident and even coming off with certain doctrines as dogmatic. you know. And so I've struggled with that over the years as I've studied topics, and I've become more and more convinced as I've studied it over 26 years, maybe 20 times, that I believe I know what it says. And so not every doctrine are we that confident with, but I do think over time that's going to grow, you know, and it should grow as a pastor in particular. We ought to be able to preach with confidence. And again, it may come off even as too dogmatic at times, but we're confident in what the scripture says. So I would encourage somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't have the skill level or experience 
to continue to stay in the word and always remember that we never have anything perfect. You know, we may understand a particular doctrine well, but I guarantee you we don't have a perfect understanding of that. And so I think we ought to have a sense of confidence in some sense and the other foot in the field that says, I'm not perfect. And we approach scripture with bias sometimes, maybe not, we're not even aware of it. And so um, humility and confidence, both there's a tension there. And so I, I hope we strike that balance, probably not perfectly. You know, but um, again, as we as we study and grow, we should be more confident. And as somebody comes to me and maybe challenges what I've taught or I might have taught something inaccurate, um, I always ask them, why do you say that? You know, don't we're not talking opinions here. What have I missed in Scripture that you have seen? And so. I might have missed something, right? I don't know every verse and 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 every every doctrine, of course, fully. Uh, so I like to hear what they have to say. Here's what I caution people with, though, is that you know pastors spend their life studying. Okay, doesn't mean we're perfect in our teaching. It doesn't mean that we have perfect clarity. What I struggle with at times, though, is when people disagree and uh, on a doctrine, and you ask them why, they can't explain why. So I always encourage people, would you be willing to do a study with me? You know, you disagree on this particular doctrine. Have you studied it? Where did, where, how did you come to that conclusion? And Matthew, sad, sadly, I think most people, they really can't say that they came to that conclusion with an exhaustive study. It's usually they've adopted something. It's usually something that they've just picked up or they think humanly that doesn't make sense. So I don't believe it. I have never once, though. And this is more about people from outside of the church, not inside. If they disagree, I always ask them, would you be willing to do a study with me? Would you be willing to read a book or let's let's examine it together? They they always say, let me think about that. I've never had anybody take me up on that. And that says something because I won't argue with somebody and sit and debate when it's opinion versus what Scripture says. And so they won't take you up on it. So I don't know what that says, that people maybe um, aren't real interested in finding out uh, why they disagree. But it has to be grounded in Scripture, not an opinion and not in what we've adopted over time. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I see a lot in the ministry world. There's an increasing awareness among evangelicals of our historical roots. You know, traditionally, that's been the criticism of evangelicalism, right? Is we yeah. ignore the history sure. too much. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, it's encouraging to see so much being rediscovered of our scriptural roots, our theological understanding and where that comes from. But I, you know, I do worry when sometimes that starts to turn to, well, this, so many people in history. You know, say this. We should definitely give that weight. Without, yeah. you know, going back to what what does the scripture say? And I, so we want to, you know, we want to find that healthy humility, but also be confident ultimately yeah. only in scripture. Yeah, there's a a body of history that is important. You know, if I if I come up with a brand new doctrine that other believers haven't seen in two thousand years, probably a problem with it. You know. Um, and yet, you and I have talked before, you know, when we look at examine some of the theologians that are well known or they made certain statements, they're they're quite frankly heretical in some areas. 
as well. So we have to be we have to be really careful. There's not anything new, and we should certainly look at the the weight of history. There's been many godly men that have wrestled with the truths that we wrestle with today. Nobody's perfect. Um, however, history is important, and we certainly don't want to throw it out. I think part of the the shift that maybe maybe coming back when we had the emergent church come about, and the emergent church has kind of become normal. It's not really a movement anymore. Uh, where this idea was, you know what we've we've got to reimagine Christianity. It's been wrong. Well, that's a pretty arrogant attitude, you know, and it's been reflected in the music. You know, we're going to cast out all the old music, all the traditional music, and for the idea that we're going to reimagine church. And, you know, what an arrogant attitude. And so we're in a long line of history of people that were very solid. And and so we're in the 21st century here with a history of very, very godly men, very godly theologians. So we need to depend on that, but not the man himself. Right. Scripture, like you said, you still come back to Scripture. Yeah. God will preserve his church. Amen. Absolutely. So shifting gears, then we talked about how there was, you know, kind of two big focuses to the sermon and both of them. People could have some follow up questions and wonder about and want to chew on. So the second side is getting into these really hard areas of theology, these seeming paradoxes in Scripture. We were specifically talking about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. But just more generally, what's a healthy way to view these both and truths of the Bible? We talk about it's not either or, it's both and. That comes up a lot. But sure. what's the healthy way to handle that? How much do you think someone should try to intellectually wrestle with and try to reconcile these seeming paradoxes on one extreme? You know, can that, that can go too far. But on the other extreme, there's the people who just, well, just let go, let God, blind faith. It makes sense to God, so it doesn't need to make sense to me. Like that can be an unhealthy extreme in its own right, too. What's the healthy way to marry these two things? Well, I think Scripture is full attention, full of paradox. Uh, and I think, you know, God is beyond us, right? His thoughts and his ways are, are beyond us. And so certain Scriptures talk at a human level that we can kind of understand. At the same time, Scriptures uh, often take us behind the scenes where we see the power and sovereignty of God working in ways that we don't fully understand. Scripture goes back and forth. <clears throat> you know, it'll talk about man, then it'll talk about God, then it'll go back to man and talk about God. So there are there are scriptures that take us al- almost beyond what we can see as human, and those are hard for us. Sometimes those are those are really difficult because we we can't quite figure out how that works. So there's these tensions in Scripture, and I find it interesting uh, that, you know, for example, Jesus was both God and man. And I've never had anybody or read anything that people could fully explain that, or that Jesus seemed to have omniscience when he could read the heart, and yet there are places like his return that he doesn't know. How is that possible? It's not possible to reconcile it in our own minds, but we don't seem to have a problem with that. You know, nobody sits around and is angry, (laughs) you know, that we can't quite figure that out. Same thing with the Trinity. How can the three be one and the one be three? How can Jesus be called the eternal father? So there's there's back and forth with that. One of the things that I that I'm always amazed at is Romans 13 says that God puts everybody in authority, right? Everybody that's in authority, God places. We go out and vote for a president. <clears throat> Who puts him in office? We we do, do we or, or does God, right? So there are these paradoxes and tensions that we accept 
and we're okay, except when it comes to the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. Suddenly, it can't be both and in a lot of minds of people. It has to be, it, 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 it's either or. So what happens is, and, and you know, there's the Calvinist camp and then there's the Arminian camp, and people who are bent towards Arminian will focus on the passages that deal with man, and they'll ignore the sovereignty of God passages, and the same vice versa. Calvinist won't won't seem to acknowledge the passages like we covered in Sunday morning where Jesus looks out and laments over Jerusalem not being willing to come to him. And so there, the answer to it, I guess, is that you, we've got to take it all. You know, we can't just say uh, these scriptures are correct and these scriptures are correct. They're both correct. And it's really what we call confluence. So if you have an example of one river, uh, one stream coming into a river and a second stream coming into that same river, I always ask the question, is river A, does it river A become river B? It really doesn't because the water droplets that came in A remain and the water droplets that come in B remain. But suddenly you can't distinguish the two. Suddenly it's one stream. That's all we can. That's all we can see, even though they're two separate streams. And Matthew, I think that's the way it works with God and, and man's responsibility. There's a there's a confluence there. There's a working together there that we can't separate. Paul says that, you know, he labored more than all. Nevertheless, not he, but Christ labored. Well, who labored? And so um, we have to come to a point where we worship that way, where we're not answering everything. And that's and man struggles with that. Man, man has to have the final answer and he has to be able to figure everything out. And newsflash, we're dealing with an infinite God with finite minds, and that's not going to happen. And so, so we have to wrestle with those tensions. There's tensions all over and we have to come to accept them and, and, let them be an issue of worship that, okay, God's God. I can't figure it out, but that's okay. I'm not meant to figure it out. What we understand, we can only go as far as what Scripture takes us, and election is an example in Ephesians 1. The only answer I know why God elects who He elects is for His own glory. We have to be satisfied with that. I I can't explain that to anybody. I I don't know what He means by that exactly, other than His choice reflects what's best to bring him glory. And so, again, humility (laughs) comes back to humility, right? We don't know everything, and it's okay that we don't. Would you say, would you agree it's fair to say, excuse me, that that God, he puts in Scripture passages that emphasize different aspects of these things. I mean, they're all still present there, right? But he emphasizes different aspects to remind us that they're both equally important. Right. Like if you believe in God's sovereignty, it's easy to diminish man's will, yet there are passages that punch up man's will so much to make it obvious. No, no, no. Yeah. It's still just as you know, just as much this. Right. 100% this. Right. Same thing with Jesus. You know, there's passages that really emphasize his divinity, but mm-hmm. others that really emphasize his humanity yeah. to make sure we don't let the the divine consume right. the right. human. And and the way we stay balanced in that, in my opinion, and, and although I teach, I'm going to do it Sunday on a particular topic, right? Expositional teaching isn't just verse by verse. Expositional teaching means you extract the information from the text. You're not reading into it, right? And so, but I think the way to, to deal with those issues is take a book 
and follow it through verse by verse, because that's the way the Holy Spirit has laid it out where it's taking you from, you know, from this point to this point, back to point A to point B. So we see this, this unfolding of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So when we preach like that, it keeps that natural balance. It takes us from one place to another. Nicodemus, you know, Jesus is talking that he needs to be saved. And he says the Holy, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. Who, who knows where it goes? And his idea there is the Holy Spirit's sovereign where he's going to work. And yet he's telling Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. So again, you see those sandwiched together over and over and over. And again, expositional teaching forces you to acknowledge that on a repetitive basis, both issues. And I think it's important to remember, especially for today's culture, I don't think this would have been true a few generations ago, but in today's culture, people like to think about, you know, the Bible as these different people's perspectives. But like the Apostle John, if you read his gospel, it is so much focused on Jesus being God. But then you get to 1 John and he focuses on, hey, if you don't say that Jesus Christ was here in the flesh, a human being, you're the Antichrist. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, everyone writing scripture saw these saw both sides of these things. And that's why we have different gospels, you know, the synoptic gospels, because each one of them kind of represents a different aspect of Jesus. Right. And so, um, yeah. So, I, again, I think we even even see that with those gospels that some talk about as deity emphasizes kingship some emphasizes his his humanity and so again the whole counsel of god matthew is critical that we not just get focused on one aspect because the whole counsel of god what may originally to us seem very simple and black and white isn't always that way and so it's very important that we not deny certain scriptures to justify our position and on many subjects, we're going to come up with our feet planted in midair, but it says both. I want it to say one. I want to figure it out. And we don't get there. God's word won't allow us to go beyond what it tells us, you know, what it's communicating to us. So, yeah. So then to kind of wrap up on this week's sermon, dealing with the paradox of sovereignty and choice and you know, responsibility and all that, what do you say to someone who's struggling with how that applies to their own lives? You know, someone really struggling with making meaningful choices, knowing that God's sovereign or someone who's having trouble seeing God as sovereign because they see all the evil choices people make. Like, how do you counsel somebody to find the healthy w- way to walk away from a sermon like that? That's that's a very complicated question. And I think I think that it's a, you know, I preached a message a few weeks ago where uh, we touched on the idea of why God doesn't answer us immediately and fully. And most of the time we're dealing, okay, we're praying for somebody to be healed or we're praying for a situation to be resolved. And it doesn't happen overnight. doesn't happen immediately. I, I can't think of very many times where God immediately answered a prayer uh, that I was, you know, something I was really struggling with, something important. And so my counsel to people would be, uh, you know, we're, we're young, we're children. You know, he considers us children. And so we, we keep going to God and we ask for guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I think, is a, is a premium passage on that, is that we're to seek Him in all things and acknowledge Him in all things and lean not on our understanding. That's our responsibility. And so even though we want the light to go on uh, door A instead of B, that's not the way He works. And so I think there's a healthy trust 
And I think there's a healthy um, making sure that that we're not leaning on our own understanding, but trusting him through prayer. Sometimes he answers through people. Sometimes he answers through circumstances. But I think the idea is, I think my final application point was, was, was seek God and relax. Because God has the end of that passage under control. He promises that if we seek him, we seek his kingdom first. He says all these things will be added. What he's really saying is seek me and I'll make sure your paths are straight. And what that really means is you'll be in my will. And we don't know always what that will is. So I, I, don't, I think that answers it. But I, the idea here is that it we're, you know, we're trying to figure out God's will. And I would say most of the time we don't know what his will is for sure. But when we seek him and we allow time, you know, we're patient, God reveals that will over time. And we can trust that if we're little children looking up at our Heavenly Father saying, help me, I don't know which way to go. I truly honestly believe that if we're asking him with sincerity, he'll tell us where to go, either through circumstances or whatever it might be. Um, And so I feel like I'm just a little child holding the Father's hand, and I don't know which way to go. And he doesn't give me the full path. He doesn't explain every detail of where we're going to go, but he's going to guide me step by step. So I think that answers your question. That's how I would counsel people is to trust in him, pray to him. And when you can take steps of obedience, do it, and, and he'll get you there one way or another. Yeah, I think we can't underestimate the power of prayer and yeah. God shaping our thinking and also yeah. the power of scripture, you know, yeah. getting that. Uh, I, I try and counsel people a lot with the idea of the framework, you know, that grid we see the world through. We all have a grid we see the world through, sure. right? Yeah. And the more that grid is being determined yeah. by the Bible and not our own thinking or culture's thinking or our upbringing right. or whatever, right. the more we're going to know how to make those decisions that please God yeah. and according to his And will. there are certain things that we know what we need to do. You know, we need to pray. We need to forgive our enemies. We need to love unconditionally. So there's certain things that we don't have to pray for, really, that God already tells us. This is the will that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is my will that you give thanks in all things. So there's certain things that we know. But I think there's a, I, 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 there's a divine mystery. God says there's certain things that we're going to know and certain things that we're not going to know. And I think with us wanting God's will or God's direction in our life, we want that plain and simple and immediate. And I think life has shown me, plus examples in Scripture, that it's going to take some time. And he's going to unfold it over time uh, according to his will and his timing. And he's hardly ever fast enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we want immediate, we're a microwave culture, you know, fast food culture. So, but anyway, the, the whole idea is that if you're struggling with these things, you know, if you're struggling to make sense of Scripture, Stay at it and stay under good teaching. And I think God's going to reveal himself very clearly. Amen. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate this. And hopefully this is an encouragement to people who have some of these questions and obviously want to encourage people to keep praying. Like you said, keep in the word. And we're always happy to help with people on that. But we know it's sometimes there are a lot of people with the same questions. Oh, yeah. This helps people answer some of those. Yep. Well, thanks a lot. And we thank anybody who's uh, had the time to give this a listen and feel free to share this with anybody else, you know, is struggling with those same questions. We pray this has been edifying and we pray that you can have a great rest of your weeks in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.
We trust that you have been blessed by listening to this week's episode of Touchpoints, a weekly podcast produced by East Point Bible Church in Peru, Indiana. To learn more about East Point, we would love to connect with you by reaching out via our website at ebcperu.org. That's ebcperu.org.